Hey there, podcast listener. If this is your first time here, welcome to the Eat Half Walk Double Podcast, coming to you from the Ascend Endurance Coaching Studios here in lovely Stratford, New Hampshire, US of A. I'm your host, Chris Dunn. If you've listened to the show before, well, welcome back. So this show chronicles my four decades in endurance sports as a coach, race director, and athlete, told through the stories of the important, influential, and interesting people I've met along the way. While I catch up with friends, colleagues, rivals, clients, and the occasional family member, it's my hope you'll learn a little something about health, fitness, and the secrets to living well along the way. Paul Kirsch joins the show again this week. He and I are the co-race directors for the Cranmore Mountain Race presented by Saucony. This race has a rich history, and Paul has been involved with it for many, many years. Our conversation includes some memorable moments from past races, the current state of mountain running here in New England, and of course, a preview of this year's event. Well, here he is, Paul Kirsch. Paul, welcome back to the show. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. So we've got, um, you and I have the Cranmore Mountain Race coming up uh, this weekend um, as we're, we're we're taping the show two weeks early. So this is, it's going to be a little goofy. I want to make okay, sure my, you don't, you, you don't my correct heart me. stopped a little bit there for a second because <laughs> I actually already have some things to do Saturday. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad to know that. <laughs> okay. So, right. So just, yeah, just to, just to reorient you, you are actually in the future now, Paul. Um, and, good, good. and here we are sitting in the future talking about the Cranmore Mountain Race presented by Saucony coming up this weekend, uh, October 15th. Uh, so we'll let, let's get to the particulars, uh, of the Cranmore mountain race in just a moment, but, uh, the, the particulars of this, this year's version of the, of the Cranmore mountain race. But, um, I, this race, uh, I mean, as much as any mountain race in the country, uh, has a, has a really rich history, uh, quite a long history, actually, by some accounts, uh, uh, it's described as one of the oldest mountain races in the country. Uh, so it's, quite a bit of history associated with the event and you've been, you've been there from the beginning. So, um, I, I think it'd be interesting to have a little conversation about, uh, about the history of the Cranmore mountain race. Uh, but for, uh, for the listener, um, uh, who, who hasn't had a chance to listen to, uh, our earlier podcast in which we talked about all things, Paul Kirsch, um, for those that haven't had an opportunity to listen to that episode. And, and I, I can't imagine why they haven't. So if, if you haven't had a chance to listen to our, 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 our previous episode, uh, after this one, double back and, and listen to that one. Cause it, that, that really kind of helps to tor- the, tell the, the complete story of Paul Kirsch. But, um, for the listener that hasn't had a chance to, to hear that earlier version, how does a kid from Philly who grows up in Philly, how does a kid from Philly become the race director of one of the oldest mountain races in the country? Well, to, um, my wife and I actually, we moved up here 30 years ago. Uh, that was after I fell in love with Northern New England and figured out a way to get up here with a job and then uh, started doing a lot of hiking. I lived in Holderness and um, that hiking turned into faster hiking. And then someone said, do the Mount Washington road race. And um, I turned around, did that, and I'm still doing it. Um, and every June I question why I'm still doing it. Um, but, uh, that's kind of what got me involved. And then one year I got hurt and, um, I kind of dove into the volunteering side more. Um, and that's what got me involved 
For first, I'd gotten involved with race organizing with a sled dog race in Center Sandwich, New Hampshire, which um, I could spend an hour just on that, so I won't. But that was 10 years of that. And then I was with the White Mountain Milers, and they needed a race director for the Cranmore Hill Climb, um, which is what the Cranmore Mountain Race became. Um, and so I said, sure, I'll do that. And uh, if another person would do it with me, and it's funny, she was so busy, I ended up doing it all myself. Um, but she was always there in case I said, what do I do now? And from there, it just kind of took off. And it became part of the um, USATF New England Mountain Running Circuit when Richard Bolt, who was then the um, the mountain uh, ultra trail chairperson for New England approached me to see if I wanted it to be part of the series. And then from there, it just kind of took off a um, little bit of um, do you want me to go into a little background on the race even before me? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah OK. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Take yeah. Us, yeah take so us, take um, going way back in the way back machine. Um, so before I took over Cranmore, Cranmore actually started sometime in the 80s. I don't remember the exact date, um, but it was part of this uh, series of races called the Tri-Mountain Challenge, which was Cranmore uh, Hill Climb, uh, Kearsarge North um, here up in you know Kearsarge, New Hampshire, up in North Conway area. And then uh, one of the moats, um, I forget where, I think it was middle moat. And so that was the three race series. And this was put on, I think it was fundraisers primarily for local ski teams. And um, I don't know how long that lasted, but the other two races faded away and the Cremore Mountain race kept going. And the White Mountain Milers, or at that point, Cremore Hill Climb, the White Mountain Milers took it over. Um, at that point, the race was uphill only. Um, it was a three mile race that kind of wound around the, uh, service road. Uh, when it originally started, it was similar almost to a fell race. It was pick your own way to the top and fastest person to the top. And then it changed into the actual, uh, course format of the uphill only. And then when I took it over, it stayed that way through 2004, I believe. No, it was through 2002. Uh, we kept it uphill only. Um, and then that's when Richard Bold had approached me and it was still in the mountain series, I think in 03 and 04 that way. And then they were looking for a mountain team qualifying race in 2005. And that's when it changed to its uh, current format of an up-down multi-lap race. Hmm. So, um, so how did you get roped into, how did you get roped into, uh, uh, directing the race. I, I say roped into, I, I say that, I say that lovingly as race directors. Sometimes we, <laughs> sometimes we stumble into events. Sometimes, uh, uh, if not for us, then the event does not continue. Uh, sometimes we're kind of volunteering on the periphery and next thing, you know, like your next man up, how, how, how did you, how did, how, how did it happen that you became, uh, in charge of the race, uh, race director? Well, for, um, with that, it was the, um, it had been, it was a white mountain milers race and I was a member of the milers and I just absolutely loved the race. And so the previous race director was stepping down and they need somebody. And I just jumped at the chance. Um, and, uh, I tend to do that when I get really into something. Um, I always do more than I should with the something. Um, and in that case it was, yeah, I can, I should race direct that. That sounds like fun. Cause I, uh, as I mentioned, I had helped with sled dog race previously and, um, it was fun. Uh, 
the first few years I used to direct and race it. Um, so like, you know, 10 minutes before the start line, I'd be putting on the race bib. Um, and it's funny, I, I didn't do any worse when I was directing it. In fact, I did better. And I swear it's because I never had time to get any nerves around racing. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it's pretty much, I just dove in because I wanted the race to continue. I was concerned that it would just, you know, fade away. And it was a favorite race of mine. So in those, uh, in those early days, um, what, what, what's your recollection in terms of, um, and I, I guess, you know, let's say sort of pre, um, uh, pre USATF mountain circuit before the race, um, became part of the USATF circuit. What, 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 what was the, what was the participant field like? Uh, are we talking more than a hundred, less than a hundred, less than 50, more than 50? How many people did it back then? Um, we, I think we had around a hundred people. Um, it was in, um, I, I remember the race was always in late June, early July. And I, I remember that because the race director would always buy uh, fresh picked strawberries. And that would be the prize of you would get like a trophy with filled with strawberries. So that's kind of how I know the time frame on it. But it was a very low key race. I mean, we it was hand timed. Um, interestingly enough, anyone who listens to or follows anything in New England mountain running, the uh, the record holder for the up only course is Dave Dunham. Um, and if you want to digress a little, that's how he, for winning it that year, he won a pair of Atlas snowshoes and that's what got him into snowshoe racing. Okay. And then I met Dave at a snowshoe race. So it's just, it all becomes circular at, okay. at the end. All right. That's a, yeah, that's an interesting connection, right? Dave, the, uh, uh, the iconic uh, New England <clears throat> mountain runner guy that wrote the book on the Mount Washington road race, actually. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, he, I guess he and his uh, friend, Dan Varrington, their families were up here vacationing and they saw the race and they did it. And uh, I think that was 87 when he set the course record. It was 87 or 88. So, so Rich, Rich Bolt uh, approaches you about, um, about hosting a U.S. Uh, team qualifier. Uh, so for, for those that aren't familiar, prior to uh, USATF sort of consolidating the, uh, the qualifier into one event, um, the, um, the, the men's and women's qualifiers were split uh, between different races uh, prior, to, prior to 2000 or 2005 and, and, and prior. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't like it is today. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I, I think I'm, I'm recalling maybe Mount Washington road race one year was, was maybe a men's qualifier and the women's qualifier was, 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 was somewhere else. Um, that 2005 qualifier, was that both a men's and women's qualifier or was it just, was it just one or the other? Do you, do you recall? Well, yeah, I, I believe it was a spot for both. What, what they had kind of gone back and forth on, um, they actually did have it where, one race was a qualifier or they had one race out West, one race in the East. Um, but then um, they were trying to get courses that were closer. Cause a lot of times, like you might have like Mount Washington as a qualifier and then the world's course is an up down course. Um, and you, you may not be selecting, you know, people then that are best, best suited for that. You know, you have, a Joe Gray or a Grayson Murphy probably are 
as good up as in down, but there's some runners, their specialty is one or the other. And so I think the USATF MUT committee, uh, Mountain Ultra Trail Committee, they were looking to try and get, first of all, more exposure for the qualifiers, but also to get courses that were would emulate uh, what Worlds was. Um, and I remember in 05, it was a, if I remember correctly, that was a three lap up and down race. And so Cranmore changed that year from uphill only to three laps up and down. Yeah. And that was, that was also kind of a big deal in the um, New England mountain running circuit. Cause there had never been a race that steep in the circuit before that included that much downhill. Um, the Northfield mountain race was part of it. I think it actually served as qualifier as well. Um, but that year in Cranmore was the year that it kind of put the mark on things of, um, you know, and what I tried to do was mirror the, uh, the grade of worlds. But, um, I just remember a lot of people talking about that afterwards, just how incredibly steep the downhill was that hmm. year. So that, so, so that was, that was then sort of the beginning of, uh, uh, of at least half of the mountain running community's complete disdain of you as a race director. Yes. Yes. Um, and then I, I still fondly remember, and I don't remember which year it was, but I still fondly remember uh, Josh Ferentz, um coming around on a lap and just looking at me going, I'm coming for you afterwards, Karsh. And he meant it in the most loving way, but he also meant it. <laughs> so it was, it was, it was a funny little moment, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that was, and it's, it's kind of funny because now I feel like, you know, you look at the white face race or you look at some other races um, around the country and they've gotten pretty extreme on stuff. And but back then, at least there weren't a lot in the U.S. that were doing that type of, you know, that extreme steepness on a downhill. Hmm. Um, well, that's a good, good segue, good mention of, of, of Ferentz. That's a good segue to, to 2007, because two years later, uh, uh, well, I guess just prior to two years later, you'd be approached again by uh, USA Track and Field about uh, hosting the U.S. Mountain Running Championship at that point. Uh, one mountain running championship, um, uh, one consolidated mountain running championship um, in, in, in 2007. So um, and that that race was also that was a that was a three lap uh, race. Interestingly enough. Um, that was, uh, three laps for men, but two laps for women. Uh, and I, you know, I, subsequently, um, and, and we can have this discussion, but subsequently, uh, you were, you were on the forefront of this, um, uh, this push to, uh, sort of level the competitive playing field as it were in mountain running between men's and, and, and women's races in terms of, in terms of distance, in terms of prize money. Uh, you were at the forefront of that, but interestingly enough, in 2007, three laps for men, two laps uh, for women. What do you what, what what do you remember about that 2007 U.S. Mountain Running Champs? Honestly, those those early few years are are a little bit of a blur of which was which. Um, I think that was the year I met Peter Maximal um, because I think because I'm trying to remember if 2007. I don't remember where Worlds was that year. Um, but um, 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 
I, I think the main thing I remember was just, uh, I, th I think that was the year that Anita Ortiz uh, came out and ran. And uh, I think she made the team. Um, and one of the things I was so impressed with is I met up with her ahead of time and we were kind of previewing the course. And I just remember when we got to the downhill, like we're chatting on the uphill, we're chatting at the top, and then she was just gone she was just flying downhill so, so fast. But I think that was the main thing I remember was just, it was another year of this is going to be an extreme course mm. um, for what people are looking for. Yeah. And for those, um, <clears throat> for those listeners or for the listener that, um, that it, that's familiar with uh, mountain ultra trail racing, the name Ricky Gates uh, will be familiar to many yes. people. Ricky Gates, Ricky Gates uh, beat uh, Paul Lowe, uh, by 10 or 15 seconds that year, Ference actually uh, came in third uh, uh, that year. That's that. That's why that was an interesting connection. When you mentioned Josh Ference, he was uh, he placed third that year. Uh, and that year, uh, there was a uh, uh, an Olympic marathoner from the Czech Republic, uh, Anna Pichtrova. Pirkatova. Uh, Pirkatova. Thank yes. you. Yep. My uh, yep. My Czech uh, is not that. Slovakian <laughs> is not that great. Um, uh, so she was a 2004 Olympic marathoner from the Czech Republic. She was she living in the, do you remember was she living in the States uh, that uh, at that time? No, or? no, no. So, so the connection there actually isn't because she was an Olympic marathoner. Uh, she up until this past year was the uh, winningest woman at Mount Washington um, at the Mount Washington road race. Um, I believe Kim Dobson passed her this year. So if I remember that year, um, it's good I have you around to remind me of these things because I don't remember that at all. But now that you say it, um, she stuck around the week after Washington to do Cranmore. Um, she was going to be on the um, on the Czech uh, mountain running team. Uh, she had been a world mountain running champion at that point um, as well. And so she decided, hey, you know, while I'm in while I'm in the area, I may as well run uh, Cranmore as well. So that that was a like a fun addition to the race. Mm. Um, and as a, as I'm sure you'll you'll speak to, um, uh, she she wasn't the last uh, uh, Olympian to uh, to either participate or somehow be involved in the Cranmore Mountain Race. Um, uh, actually, speak about that a little bit, if you will. Um, there, there have been other uh, Olympians again, either uh, actually. U.S. or uh, or Olympians from other parts of the world either either participate uh, or somehow support the race. I'm thinking about Sean Doherty uh, as a U.S. Olympian who has supported the race with his with his artwork. Um, what do you remember? Other, I mean, do you, any other? And I don't mean to put you on the spot, but any any other names uh, come to mind when you um, think about? That? Yes, uh, Magdalena Boulay uh, raced it in 2013. Um, and she made the team that went to Poland, which was kind of extra special because she's, or, you know, of Polish descent. Um, <clears throat> and then um, also not not an Olympian per se, but a uh, like six time world mountain running champion, uh, Marco de Gasperi, um, actually ran the race in from Italy. From Italy, yes. Mm -hmm. And he kind of did a similar thing where he came and did Washington and then he did Cranmore as well. Um, and it was super fun to have him run it. Um, uh, you know, you're talking about at the time, the best, uh, male mountain runner in the world. 
Um, and so that, you know, that was just a huge honor to have him come and, uh, and run the race. Um, one, <laughs> there, there's, see, here's a good Marco de Gasperi uh, anecdote. Um, uh, anyone listening to this probably knows Jim Johnson. Um, Jim uh, has been in and out of uh, the running scene and suddenly he just appears and win race, wins races and disappears again. Uh, Jim actually lives down the street from me. I see him at the dump every like three months <laughs> and we chat for a couple minutes. But um, Jim uh, had a couple times. Jim was not the best at um, following a, a lightly marked course. <laughs> I'm kind of navigating stuff. And I remember he kind of took Marco on a tour of the course to preview it. And it was somewhat marked. It was cut, but it wasn't totally marked. And I remember Jim got lost and Marco actually found the course. So it was just, it was a funny note. And for those of you, if you want to go out on YouTube, you can find a video of, uh, of Jim after he crossed route 302 at the Bretton Woods fell race. <laughs> Um, that it's just, it would just reminded me of that. So that's a great, anyway. that's a great, that's a great um, story too. Yeah. And then the, the other Olympic connection, yeah. Sean Doherty, who's a biathlete, um, he several, several years in a row, uh, he made, uh, he has a side business where he does woodworking, um, creates bowls and other things like wood turning stuff. Uh, he made the prizes for the race several years in a row as well. So, and what and what, what what's your connection to to Sean Doherty? How, um, how do you know, Sean's how do you know uh, Sean's mom is um, was my kid's sixth grade teacher for both of them, um, and I've known Sean since he was a little kid. It, it's funny because I remember my wife uh, recently. <clears throat> um, my wife Catalina got trans did one of those like where you send out to get the home videos moved over to you know, to uh, files you can just have on your computer and service to do that. Well, I remember one of the ones she did that with came back and, and there's Sean Doherty swimming in the pool at King Pine for like Lucas's like second birthday. And we're like, hey, there's an Olympian in this video. We just didn't know it at the time because <laughs> Sean was like six at the time. No, so that, That's very cool. And I know Sean has uh uh, when his schedule has allowed, he has uh, dabbled in uh, mountain racing here in New England. Um, probably not so much uh, recently, but uh, wasn't well, he a, wasn't he a finisher of the of the Loon Mountain race? Yeah, he, he actually um, he raced Loon when he was fourteen, and then he's actually raced it the last two years. Okay, um, he was um last year he did it i think he was fourth overall and then this year he was around 10th or so it was kind of cool this year because uh there were a bunch of biathletes and nordic athletes that raced at loon okay uh well and just quickly to pick up on that what um what what do you think it is about about mountain racing and uh uh and nordic uh nordic uh, sports like uh like nordic skiing or or biathlon because because uh, you know we, we 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 do tend to see quite a bit of of nordic athletes um coming and participating in our events whether it was loon previously or 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 cranmore or, or waterville valley what, what 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 is it about what is it about mountain running and mountain racing and and the and the nordic sports well, and, uh, first of all, that triggers the other Olympian that I know has been at uh, Cranmore, Morgan Aratola, in 2013 when she right. made the U.S. team. Um, and um, 
I first met Morgan at a, a U.S. Trail Champs out in Oregon, and then she came and won Loon, and then came back and uh, in 2012, and then she came back and um, uh, what you call it won. I believe she won Cranmore as well in 2013. Mm. Um, I think it's just uh, it's a combination of uh, their training involves so much hill work, um, often with poles, but still just so much like especially their dryland training, but I also just think any Nordic athlete is so used to dealing with redlining and they're just, you know, they're at a level of exertion in races um, that just lends itself well to mountain running. Um, Mm. And they seem to enjoy the pain cave as much as any mountain runner I know. Um, And so I think it's, it's a fun crossover sport for them. Like it's interesting. um, Even Sophia Laukley, uh, She's been having tremendous success this year uh, running in Golden Trail Series and the U.S. Mountain Champs and um, multiple other races. She's still on. She's an active member of the U.S. ski team right now. Um, But just to give you an idea. Yeah. And there's 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 just so much crossover, I think, just because it is similar. You know, you kind of need that same engine that you need for mountain running. Hmm. Yeah. And, um, in terms of, yeah, in terms of how it sets up with their training schedule, the summer is probably right, maybe in the middle of their, of their, of their training or sort of at the beginning of their training, or is it, is it an off season before they, before, for instance, the, the, the top athletes, uh, head to Europe to train or maybe um, some stay in the U S but, but su- yes, yeah, summertime, how, how does that, how would the summertime line up, uh, with their training? Cause, <laughs> because the, these, these Nordic athletes that race at our, at these mountain races in the summertime tend to be pretty competitive. In other words, their fitness is still pretty sharp. Um, how do these races typically line up with their training? Um, I think for the most part, um, they're, they're probably getting back into training early May, uh, maybe late April, uh, depending on when their ski season's finished or biathlon season finished, you know, there's a little bit of time off there, but then they're getting back into it. And what I've heard from a lot of them is, doing a mountain race just breaks up the monotony of dry land training um, rather than just, you know, and they kind of get to see where their fitness is at, but also uh, it's just fun to, you know, to break it up. I think anybody who has trained for any event and you kind of get into the, uh, especially if you're training in the way, you know, I think of it, I guess in comparison would be, let's say you're training for a trail race and it's unrunnable or something and you're doing a treadmill training. You're so excited to get out and, you know, do the real thing. And, and I think that just helps break up the monotony of doing these trail races. Mm. Uh, you know, another name uh, that comes to mind is Caitlin Patterson, uh, who has, uh, yes, I think See, this had, is, my memory is shot. It's, it, it's okay. Olympians. I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, put, I put you on the spot. I didn't ask you to do any show prep on that, but, but as I was reviewing some pictures, uh, I think Caitlin Patterson won our Cranmore mountain race one year. It wasn't a U.S. championship, but, uh, but Caitlin was uh, training in Vermont. I think at that, at that time, time craftsbury outdoor center am i right about that yes um caitlin caitlin was training for craftsbury or at at craftsbury as part of their racing team um and also actually when the race was a u.s champs in 2017 she made the u.s mountain running team at cranmore she was she was fourth uh she was still skiing full-time at that point as well so that was really exciting um, being part of the team staff for the U S mountain running team, you know, I got to know Caitlin well that year in Italy, and it was kind of neat to get her perspective on, you know, looking at the mountain running scene 
as kind of an outsider. Um, and it was, it was just fun to see her experience worlds that way. Um, she's just such a great addition. She actually, she's retired from competitive skiing, but she's still, um, you know, she's still competing in mountain races. Um, I think she might be coming to Cranmore this year. Okay. I can't remember if she's signed up. I have to check in with her, but, um, but yeah, she, she's been doing other long stuff as well. Uh, you know, competing, I think she competed at Loon this year as well. Okay. Um, so, um, acidotic racing's, uh, involvement in the, uh, in the Cranmore mountain race began in 2016, I think, um, does that sound familiar? The year, the year before you and I hosted, uh, the U S mountain running championship in 2017, we'll talk about 2017 in just a moment, but, um, I believe it was 2016, um, uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it was, I think it was right around then. Um, at that point, um, um, I had reached out to you. It had been a white mountain milers event, but at that point, almost all the volunteers were acidotic racing volunteers and it made sense to kind of move it back or over to acidotic racing. And then that's when it changed names to Cranmore mountain race from Cranmore hill climb. And then the Cranmore hill climb kept going as a separate event for the milers until I believe two years ago. And now it's, it's gone completely. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I, I, I did want to, I did want to ask uh, about that because I, I was doing a little bit of research prior to the show and um, um, I, I, I found the uh, Cranmore Hill Climb uh, web page, um, uh, which is, which is maintained by the White Mountain Milers. And it, says race on hiatus until 2023 but um so your 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 understanding is the race is on hiatus until 2023 or or, or is the hill climb is the hill climb not a thing anymore um it may be on hiatus until okay. like i i know it hasn't happened the last two years that's, so yeah, i, I would true. yeah i was just making an assumption that yeah, it's gone okay. but it that's might, fair you're right um, it might come back yeah that's fair um well before we before we talk about um uh the the um, the most recent iteration of the Cranmore Hill Climb, that is the Cranmore Mountain Race, the sort of the, the, the rebirth of the race or the rebranding of the race. Um, I, I have to say that um, before it became an acidotic racing event, uh, the Cranmore Hill Climb was, uh, was, was always my favorite mountain race in the circuit, um, mostly because um, you were guaranteed a PR every year. That's true because you change the course every year. Uh, so, so, and you also knew that, um, you know, if, if, uh, if you were not a fan of Paul's, uh, course design, uh, <laughs> you, you had an opportunity to get another shot at it the next year. Cause he was gonna, he was gonna change it. What tell me. And I, frankly, I love that about the Cranmore mountain race. It, I mean, that was one of the reasons why it was my, it was my favorite mountain race in the circuit, but, um, <laughs> what, why, why did you, why did you do that? Why, why did you, I mean, you haven't done that in the last few years. We'll talk about the, the most recent uh, course uh, here in a moment, but um, prior to 2016, what was it? Was it just boredom? Was it, were, were you really, really trying to tick people off or were you really trying to make people happy? What was the motivation for changing the course each year? Um, I think I think what got me started on it was when it became a qualifier, I had to change the course and then a mountain champs. And so to mimic 
worlds, you change the course and use different trails. And out of that, then I think after doing that twice, it was like, well, let's explore something else. And it just got to be fun to change it around. And then I always enjoyed ahead of time, the kind of long timers in the mountain circuit would always be interested. What's it going to be this year? <laughs> and so that was always fun to use different parts of the mountain. Um, it actually has still continued to change every year. Um, minor changes um, this past year because of uh, a flag getting kicked over. For some, it changed more than others. Where <laughs> <laughs> some true. kind of blew through a, a, a single track thing. And it's actually going to change again this year because of some construction on the mountain. Not, not huge changes, uh, but there'll be a little bit of changes on the downhill. And actually last year there were changes on the uphill because of some work they've done at the yeah, mountain okay. as well. Well, let's, we'll talk about the 2022 yeah. version in, uh, in, in just a moment. But yeah, pretty much it was like, I was doing it for a while and then it just became fun to change it around. Yeah, and then I, I'd have people say, this was my favorite version of, or this was my least favorite version <laughs> of. And that was just always fun. Uh, well, that, that was always a draw for me. And, and, and I will say too, that, um, it, well, it must have been the 2013 version. Was that the was that the year Worlds was in Poland that you started the race at the summit? We ran down, we ran back up, we ran down, and then we finished. We finished back up. Was that was that yes. 2013? Yes, that, that was, was the, that was 2013. Yeah. yeah, and that was that was kind of a crazy start, um, just because you know you 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 have guys who are four minute milers and now they're doing that downhill which means they're much faster than four minute milers i remember <laughs> one guy branded birdsong bought it on the second last second downhill um and he told me later like he slid like 50 100 feet and like he and he had the the gravel in his back to show for it too it was it was pretty brutal because he was estimating he was doing like a you know a 340 mile at that point going downhill <laughs> um, so, but yeah, that, that was, it was kind of cool just cause it was totally different. Um, it also was fun just to have the awards and the finish and everything up on the top from yeah. that standpoint. Yeah. And, and, uh, just as a postscript, the reason that the race that year was, was down, up, down, up was because that's what the world mountain running championship course was. It was down, up, down, up. And so, uh, uh, and just, that was what you did to attempt to simulate the world mountain running championship for me. Um, I was never very strong on the, on the downhill. I was always a better climber. So the course was perfect for me because we finished on an uphill rather than finishing on a, on a downhill in which typically I would lose five or six or seven spots every year on a downhill finish this year or that year, I, I probably picked up five or six spots, uh, on the final uphill. So I love that. I love that design. It was very, very interesting. In fact, I'm, I'm sure there's just, there aren't very many mountain races that are down, up, down, up. Um, most are up, down, up, down because of the the nature of the places that we host. But anyway, that was an well, interesting year. Related to that, just funny side anecdote. I I remember after that year, uh, a couple of people asking me like, "So you're going to switch it and do down up every other?" And it's it's always funny to me when people are asking me about my plans for the future course because. <laughs> I want to explain to them, like, I don't even know what I'm going to have for breakfast the next morning, let alone planning the, the Cranmore race that far in advance. Like, you know, usually I, I start thinking about it a month before the race. Uh, that's com that is, com that is completely fair. 
Um, well, 2016, uh, it becomes an acidotic racing event, and uh, you and I, uh, we join forces uh, as co-race directors. Um, the following year, 2017, it was a U.S. mountain running championship again. Um, but uh, well, in that year, um, there, uh, there was an interesting guest, uh, an interesting guest starter of that race vin lanana the president of usa track and field yes uh was a guest at the event um i think at that time you i think you had mentioned to me that it was the first time that either vin or any usatf president uh had um uh had been at a U.S. mountain running championship. Again, maybe I'm overstating that, um, but for sure, uh, it was the first time Vin had ever been at a U.S. mountain running championship. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how, how in the world did you how'd you work that out that the uh, that the president of USA Track and Field, USA Track and Field, was at the Cranmore Mountain Race? Well, it's kind of like we had always invited and we've, you know, we've had some other I'll call titled people. And like, for example, uh, men's LDR chair, long distance running chair, Mike Scott, he he's always been so supportive of mountain ultra trail stuff. He's often been at our championships, which has been awesome. But I think with Vin, it was a case of Vin wanted to be there. Um, it was it was really cool to see that. Um, and he's actually still president of USA Track and Field. And there was some funkiness of board members and Vince in there, but he is back um, in, in a presidential leadership role. But he really just wanted to support all the different aspects of USA Track and Field. because I And I know that may sound strange. It's Track and Field is the name, but they're the governing body for all of our running events um, to compete on the international stage. You know, you, you, you can't just create a U.S. mountain running team and have it compete at a IAAF championship unless it's under your governing body and that USA track and field is the governing body. So it's it's been cool, really cool to see, you know, and a lot of that is the tireless work of Nancy Hobbs, who's head of the mountain team as well as Mountain Ultra Trail uh, Council, to just reach out and make sure that we have a seat at the table for funding and for appearances and things like that. And I think Vin really enjoyed it as well. That was that was fun to see that, you know, I think he had a good time coming and seeing the whole event. And he's and he, he I mean, not only did he start the race, but he held the finisher banner, too. I mean, he he stayed he stayed yeah. for the entirety of the event. Yeah, it was. It was cool. You're right. He wasn't just making the appearance, hopping in the helicopter and leaving. I mean, he he uh, did stay and was supportive of the whole thing. It was it was really fun to see. And I think there's part of him and, you know, going back roots wise and involvement with cross country and stuff. I think it, it kind of gave him a fun reminder of, uh, you know, the smaller scale championships as well. Yeah. And, and, and if, if you can, even, even with, with just an estimate is fine, but, um, mountain ultra trail, uh, has to rep. And this is sort of puts it in, puts it in perspective, how significant it was for Vin to be there. Um, mountain ultra trail, that aspect of USA track and field has got to be less than 1% of their operational budget. It's probably less than one tenth of a percent of their operational budget. In other words, Mountain Ultra Trail is very much a blip uh, on the radar. Uh, is that am I categorizing uh, am I categorizing that that fairly in terms of? I I don't know in terms of team funding and stuff, but yeah, certainly it is not 
priority number one. Um, it has been cool to see in the last few years, there's an athlete advisory council that people like Andy Wacker and Camille Heron and others have uh, been able to be a part of. So there's a seat at the table to make sure the round like athlete awareness and funding. I think the other thing that has helped there is, um, you know, 15 years ago, you'd be hard pressed to find many athletes who could make a living as a sponsored trail or mountain athlete. And that's not the case anymore. I mean, there's a lot of people who are making a living and they're making a good living doing it. And that's been really cool to see um, just the viability of people getting into the sport or taking a look at it, you know, outside of road running and things as a future in the sport. Hmm. Um, you know, that as it, as it, as I think about it, you know, that year, uh, 2017, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't just the U S mountain running championship, but correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was the North, um, North American and Caribbean mountain running championship as well. Was that, was that 2017? Um, no, I don't oh, that, think that so. was 2013. I, th I think that was 2013. And it yeah. also was in 2011, I believe okay. as well, uh, okay. or it may have been 2009. It was the NACAC champs. Um, but no, I, th you're actually, I think you're thinking of 2018 At when, Loon. uh, Loon was the okay. NACAC champs. Yeah. Um, but there, there was a case when, yeah, there were teams from, you know, from Canada and from Mexico that came as well. Yeah. To compete yeah. at NACAX. Yeah. Kind of gave it an international flair. Yeah, it was, it was cool. And, um, uh, it was cool also even just to play all three national anthems before the race started. Um, and in fact, if I remember correctly, that was a year, a friend of mine, Mary Littlefield, who in 2013, who's a music teacher, uh, an accomplished musician and vocalist, uh, if I remember correctly, she learned all three national anthems and sang them. Um, cool. And that just kind of blew my mind that she went and learned the Mexican, you know, and yeah, it was, it was just, it was really cool that she did that. And I have to think the athletes thought that was pretty cool as mm. well. Um, no, for sure. Um, so um, as I mentioned previously, the, uh, the Cranmore Mountain Race is part of the USA Track and Field New England Mountain Circuit. Um, this uh, circuit of mountain races uh, uh, held each year. Uh, it, it happens to be the last race in the circuit. Right? So the uh, this year's version of USATF uh, New England Mountain Circuit uh, will wrap up uh, with our with our Cranmore Mountain Race uh, coming up this weekend. Um, the the now with with our two races, the Waterville Valley Mountain Race and the and the Cranmore Mountain Race uh, in the fall, the circuit now sort of spans from May. Uh, Sleepy Hollow uh, is in May, right through through October. Uh, I mean, there isn't a race every month necessarily, but that's that's a fairly that's a fairly broad spanned uh, uh, period of time. Um, how has the how has the circuit how's the mountain circuit gone this year? Uh, all races uh, all races were held this year, so everyone yes. everyone was back again this year. Yes, and um, yeah, um, I'm not sure numbers are back to what they were pre-COVID, but they're getting closer, which is great. Um, I think you know there's still the the million dollar question is why race participation is down across the board, um, but uh, not at just at these races, but kind of in general at races. Um, but um, 
but yeah, the, you know, we're back to a pretty active circuit, you know, and I think still the big draw is uh, anybody who completes uh, this year, six out of eight races in the circuit um, gets a bypass to the next year's Mount Washington road race. Um, the, we'll be handing out the uh, mountain goat t-shirts for those people at the Cranmore race um, as well. And um uh, but yeah, the, the circuit's pretty healthy. It's, it's a fun, still a fun mixture of, uh, you can love or hate every surface. Uh, there's some pave, there's some up down, there's some, you know, more rugged trail, uh, there's ski, ski slope, uh, kind of, kind of a variety of everything, um, of, you know, short mountain race distances. Mm. Uh, right. Uh, up, up only races, up, down races, uh, on pavement, off pavement, uh, yeah, to your point, a little, a little bit of, uh, a little bit of something for everyone. Um, so uh, when, when you say a bypass to Mount Washington, you're, you're, you're talking about the, uh, the Mount Washington road race lottery, right? So the Mount Washington, Mount Washington, Mount Washington road race, because it's such a popular event has a lottery, right? So you, you, you put your name right. in and, uh, and if you're selected, it's always one of those good news, bad news, right? Good news. You were, you were selected in the lottery. Bad news is you were selected to run 7.6 miles up the auto road of Mount Washington. It's good. Exactly. News, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's to bypass the lottery. So it guarantees you a spot, you know, you're still paying to get in the race, but it guarantees you a spot. Yeah. So, yeah. um, historically, um, you, you refer to them as as mountain goats. We 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 lovingly refer to them as goats or or mountain goats. These are folks that uh, that complete six of the eight races in the USATF New England Mountain Circuit. Uh, they're referred to as goats or mountain goats, and they they get this coveted bypass uh, around the uh, around the Mount Washington Road Race Lottery. Uh, historically speaking, how many? How many people goat? How many people mountain goat? How many people qualify for that for that bypass every year, roughly? Um, since we added in the Mount Washington bypass part, like there was always goats and there was always an award for it. But um, we've been somewhere between 80 and 150. I think this year will be uh, 100, 110, mm. um, which is good. It's, it's back from num lower numbers last year, which makes sense last year with kind of people coming back from COVID and racing and things. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's still a healthy, consistent, uh, you know, n number of people. Um, I am excited to see some younger people mixed in there um, because, you know, we're always trying to get younger people involved in this, uh, in the sport. Um, in fact, I should probably do a quick shout out of younger people. Um, one in particular that I am assuming is racing because she like lives across the, the road from the mountain is Corey Dow, um, who uh, she has uh, won Cranmore in the past, but this year she is part of the U.S. mountain running team that's going to Thailand um, at, at the beginning of um, November. Mm. Uh, yeah, Corey, uh, Corey just won our Waterville Valley mountain race, uh, a, a few weeks back. Uh, Corey's, uh, local to Cranmore, but she actually grew up, uh, uh, here in my neck of the woods, uh, went to high school with my kids was a, was a, was a highly decorated, uh, scholastic cross country runner. Uh, Corey was, was one of the best, uh, cross country runners, uh, of her time uh, scholastically. Uh, and, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's great to see some, uh, some new Englanders. She's not the only new Englander, by the way, that made that uh, mountain running team that's going to Thailand. Is, is that, is that correct? 
Correct. Um, also, uh, Dan Kurtz. Um, I don't know if he's coming to Cranmore. Um, yeah, he was. But, well, I, I spoke yeah. to Dan. I spoke to Dan at Waterville Valley and uh, he wasn't he wasn't sure uh, yeah. if he was going to make it to Cranmore. Or not. But but yeah, Dan, Dan Kurtz um, and also actually uh, Eric LaPuma, who made the uh, 80K team, um, who's also from uh, from Vermont. Um, he and Dan sometimes train together. And I should also note with Corey, um, you know, like a lot of, I feel like top runners and uh, middle of the pack runners, uh, always happy to help volunteer. Uh, Corey helped flag the course last year, took down the flags, um, which uh, could get into another side story of uh, this is the only race that uh, Paul has broken a toe before a week before the race twice. Um, so, um, and Chris, <laughs> with yeah, and that, I believe my dogs just, yeah. And yeah, in. so yeah. we're just going to pause for one second. <laughs> yes, of course. So we're okay. We're back. Uh, uh, thanks. Uh, thanks for, uh, to Sam and Roxy for, uh, giving us a brief intermission. Uh, so, uh, right before, uh, somebody showed up to deliver some package to your house, uh, causing your dogs to go into a, into a frenzy. I'm just speculating there, but, um, <laughs> you, you mentioned that the Cranmore mountain race, uh, uh, is the only race in which you have broken your toe just days prior to the event, not once, but twice. Yes. In, uh, in 2013, um, I stubbed it on a rock in tall grass a uh, week before the race. And, uh, course just kept running on it for two more miles and went home and it was a little red and then at the end of the day when I took my shoe off it was very purple and so I, that was my big toe um went to the ER and there was a um a hairline crack in it and so that meant yeah hobbling around the course you know because I remember at the ER they're like you know just stay off of it for a couple weeks and it should be okay and I didn't bother to tell them, yeah, I have to be up and down a mountain like 10 times in the next week. And then last year in a much less cool thing, I stubbed it in the dark on the corner of a metal bedpost. Um, and uh, similarly for that, that one was bad enough because it was a different toe. Uh, I was marking the course with a boot on and uh, Corey Dow graciously marked a big chunk of the uphill. So I didn't have to destroy my entire body with a boot on going up and down the mountain. And then race day, I had it. I had the boot on, I remember as well. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, Cranmore and my toes don't seem to go well together. <laughs> well, I'm I'm gonna knock wood because we 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 still have uh, we still have a week <laughs> or so to go before the race. So you know we we shouldn't count our chickens before they hatch. You've you've uh, I, I I'm gonna need to I'm gonna need to have you bubble wrapped, um, or you need to either a wear shoes, yes. um, uh, wherever you go, and or uh, make sure that you can see where your where your feet are landing. Uh, when you are out walking or running the dogs, um, you know, when you, um, when you referenced earlier about, um, um, about, about, you know, the, the mountain circuit, um, looking to get younger in terms of participation, you mentioned, you mentioned Corey, uh, as an example of that. And she, she certainly is a shining example, um, of, uh, uh, of, of the front of the field as it relates to, uh, younger folks. She's also obviously a, a great representative, uh, for, uh, for women, uh, in the sport too. I, I want you to talk, uh, for, for just a moment, if, if you will, with as, with as much information as you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to share some numbers about our demographics, uh, coming into, uh, 
uh, the Cranmore Mountain Race this year. But, uh, you know, not only has it been an initiative of, of ours, and I say ours, collectively ours in as race directors in USATF uh, New England Mountain Circuit to get younger because we need to get younger, but we also need to get more women involved or we're, we're looking to, to get more women involved in the sport as well. Uh, as we as we talked about on our podcast before, that was an initiative of ours uh, a few years ago at Loon. Um, you mentioned, you know, there's a right around 100 mountain goats uh, at at this point uh, uh, right now. Um, any any idea what the what the breakdown of men and women, even, even if you don't have an idea, you got a speculation. I believe it's uh, it's about 60, 40 hmm. uh, men versus women. Well, that's uh, that's actually that that breakdown that split uh, of male and female participation actually uh that 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 mirrors uh what we look at or what we look like right now in terms of our our pre-registration for Cranmore Mountain Race I'm looking at the at the demographics just to kind of back up and speak to the the age demographic uh right now 71% of the pre-registered entrants at our Cranmore Mountain Race 71% are over 40 years of age yeah. Um, uh, with, uh, uh, with 25 to 40%, uh, representing, uh, 26%, uh, and a very, very small percentage, you know, less than 3% of our, of our pre-registered, uh, group right now is under 25. Uh, that as we've talked about before, that's clearly an area of opportunity and growth, I think for, for mountain running. And then the, and then the male female split to sort of, uh, to kind of, uh, to back up what you what you just said in terms of the the mountain goat split, your estimation of that uh, right now, we're at sixty three percent male and thirty seven percent female. There's some decimal points in there, but uh, yeah, so sixty forty uh, yep. male female uh, pre reg numbers. Um, you know, and my recollection is that's that's been about what it's been, um, yes. and. Uh, I mean, what what are your comments uh, and thoughts about about that? Um, well, it's interesting, and I, I think uh, especially in older divisions, um, there's just more men running than women, um, and from the era when they would have been running more. And I feel like there's more equality, you know, an opportunity for women now, which is awesome. One thing I have noticed, and I've noticed this in the last couple of years, is. Um, a lot of women getting into trail races, I feel like when I'm talking with them, um, they've gotten into trail running, they're going to try a race, and you ask, oh, what's the race? And the sentence always ends with 50K. Um, I, I have really noticed a, it seems like younger people are going right for ultras, um, not doing as many or half marathons, trail stuff, but short mountain races, um, I don't feel like that's the stepping stone for people um, coming in to try out trail stuff. Why? I'm not sure. Um, it may be that um, it's a more logical, I've done a half marathon on a road. I've done, you know, it's not like there's mountain races on pavement that they are first doing. And may, maybe it's more of a logical transition that they run long. And so they go, when they go to trails, they run long as well. Um, but it is the great mystery. I, I don't have a have an answer to that. Um, but yeah, short mountain racing doesn't seem to be people's intro into 
into trail and mountain running. Yeah, I think I think that's a good observation. I also think it's a it's a good observation that um, that that uh, male female uh, split um, that we that we see um, and we're specifically seeing with the Cranmore Mountain Race has got to be influenced by the uh, uh, by the age demographic as well, right? <laughs> to, right. to your to your point. If uh, if seventy percent of our participants are over forty, um, then obviously most of those over forty are they're they're men, right? Yeah. What 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 we don't see, and 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 what I haven't what I haven't uh, 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 what I haven't investigated deeper is uh, what's what's the what's the gender split in those other age groups, right? What's the gender split in twenty five to forty year olds? What's the gender split in under twenty five? I wonder if it's not a little closer to 50, 50, um, in those younger demographics. Um, they, at least that seems to be my observation. Yeah, um, I, I would when, agree. When, I would you know, agree. when I'm, when I'm looking at that, um, uh, so, and so maybe it is that, that the, that, that, you know, 30% of our participants that are under the age of 40, maybe, maybe if we can continue to keep them interested and engaged in the sport, then they'll kind of grow into that older age demographic. And maybe that, that male female split will begin to, uh, uh, to equalize a little bit. Um, that, that still remains to be seen. All right. The 2022 version of the Cranmore mountain race, uh, as I mentioned in the intro, our Cranmore mountain race, uh, uh presented by Saucony, uh, is coming up, um, on Saturday, October 15th, uh, at, at Cranmore Mountain Resort in North Conway, New Hampshire. It's the last race in the USATF New England Mountain Circuit. Um, this year, the race is uh, Trail Sisters approved, and that was uh, that was a, 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 a an, an a, a approval process uh, that you uh, initiated this year for us. Um, so. For those that aren't, for the listener that's not uh, familiar with Trail Sisters, what is Trail Sisters, first of all? Um, well, kind of cool fun fact, uh, the founder of Trail Sisters has run the Cranmore Mountain Race. Uh, I think Cranmore Hill Climb at the time it was, it was but um, uh, yeah, Gina Lucrezzi, um, originally from Pennsylvania um, and uh, was a you know cross country standout in college. Uh, I remember her mentioning like she was strong enough. She often trained with I think her men's team in college. Um, but um, she started an initiative. I don't remember the year, but she wanted to just try and get more women involved in this, you know, trail and mountain running. And so she started trail sisters. There are now trail sisters, uh, groups spread across the country and in areas in New Hampshire, um, where, you know, women get together, um, to do runs. There's a lot of great content at her trail sisters website of women, you know, sharing their stories. Um, to me, I felt like the ultimate success, uh, in what Gina is doing is, um, there's a local, um, uh, Facebook running club group called Mount Washington Valley running uh, club that organizes, um, you know, just runs here in the Mount Washington Valley uh, every day of the week. And people will post, Hey, I'm doing this run, doing this run. And I remember about a month ago, uh, a woman had posted saying, Hey, so trail sisters, uh, North Conway area is organizing a run on this such and such date. 
And I remember commenting on the posts, just noting, you know, that's really cool. Uh, Gina Lucrezzi, the founder of Trail Sisters, um, has been in the area and stuff and used to live in the area. And by the reaction I got, I'm not sure the person even knew who Gina was. And to me, that's like the ultimate of what Gina started and what Gina is about. It isn't about her. Like her name isn't what people think of necessarily with Trail Sisters. I think those of us who have known it for a long time do. But now it's just become a thing on its own, which is just so awesome because I know that's what she wanted to create. Mm. For for folks that are interested in uh, uh, in learning more about Trail Sisters, uh, you can find them at trailsisters.net uh, on the internet, trailsisters.net. Um, it's, uh, it's a website that's that's uh, really rich uh, in content. Um, great place to visit. So we are, our Cranmore Mountain Race then this year is Trail Sisters Approved. Um, what, what, what was your motivation or inspiration to, uh, to work through that trail sisters approval process? And what, what is, what does, what does that mean? What, what would that mean to a participant at our event? Um, what it means is, um, really it's, uh, and it's funny because it seems so simple, but I know it didn't get started because it was always occurring. Um, it's making sure that you have equal prize money for men and women. Ideally, you have if you have gear that you have separate shirt sizing uh, specific to men or women. Um, if depending on the length of the race that you have uh, feminine products available at aid stations, uh, things like that. It doesn't that doesn't really apply with Cranmore the, the length of the race, but really and then just encouraging women also to toe the line um and you know equal time at awards and things like that and it's really just about equality um you know for at some races that uh wasn't the case over the years and so i think gene has done that and as i said it's it's not a real high bar to meet um but i like how she's doing it because it is putting a little reminder out there of hey this race is equal for men and women in all ways mm. and um i mean sort of accidentally accidentally on purpose we were doing a lot of those things uh anyhow so right for us um we we didn't we didn't have to make any significant changes to to our how we operated our event we were we were doing those things uh we're pleased to have worked through that uh trail sisters approval process uh we're honored to uh, be able to use that uh emblem um that badge on our website so for folks that visit our website uh, at acidoticracing.com, go to the Cranmore Mountain Racing page. You'll see that uh, that we have the the badge of Trail Sisters approved, and and uh, we're honored uh, uh, to uh, to have um, been able to uh, achieve that that recognition. Um, again, something something we've been thinking about uh, for for quite some time. Again, back to our earlier conversation about um, you know working to get more women involved in the sport of mountain running. Uh, that's certainly something that's at the forefront of our mind. Um, race day. Let's talk about race day experience. Well, actually let's, let's, let's back up to, to day before, uh, or, or days prior. It's not unusual for, uh, for folks to be, uh, in the North Conway area prior to the event or folks that live in the North Conway area, uh, that might want to check out the course. Uh, we do get questions, uh, often about when will the course be marked for anyone that wants to preview the course. Um, when, when will the course be, when will the course be marked and ready for preview? I'm going to be planning to flag it actually the day before um, on okay. Friday the 14th. Yeah. Okay. In All the right. morning. 
got it. And uh, anyone who's in the area and wants to help uh, Paul, uh, they can uh, they can reach out and uh, of course and yeah. connect with connect with Paul. I know that you uh, uh, you do. You mentioned Corey. You also have some other local help too. Uh, yeah, if, uh, my friend Frank Holmes will be helping. I'm sure. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So the course will be marked the day before. Um, let's talk about race day. Um, uh, again, the, the races, uh, will be held, uh, Saturday, October 15th, uh, at the, uh, Cranmore mountain resort there in North Conway. Um, um, bib pickup will be at the Arlberg children's center where we have had bib pickup before we've kind of been bouncing around a little bit in terms of, uh, where bib pickup has been. Um, but the Arlberg Children's Center, I believe that's where we did bib pickup last year. I don't know. Like you, I like, like you don't remember, you don't know what you're doing, uh, an hour after this show. I don't know what I did an hour before the show. So, um, either way, the Arlberg Children's Center is when, is where we will do bib pickup. We are planning to do, uh, bib pickup outdoors, uh, but the, that the Arlberg Children's Center will be open um, for, for folks to use the facilities if they need to use the facilities, uh, race starts at nine. So we'll do bid pickup beginning at seven 30. Um, it's very likely that the building will be, will certainly will be open at seven 30, but anyone that shows up before seven 30, the building may or may not be, uh, unlocked prior to seven 30. So just, you know, as you're planning your arrival at the resort, um, uh, and if you've had a long car ride, you may want to stop, uh, somewhere in North Conway. Uh, if you need to use restroom facilities prior to 7:30 AM, uh, oftentimes the resort, uh, uh, our gracious hosts, um, know that we have bid pickup starting at 7:30. So that's, that's when folks should plan for the indoor facilities to be open and available. Um, we will, uh, we will, we will close online registration. Uh, on Thursday, uh, let's see, Thursday, Thursday, October 13th, 7 p.m. is when online registration will close. Uh, this year, we are opening back up day of event registration. Uh, we, we did not do that last year. We will offer day of event registration this year. Uh, so, um, you know, at, at 7.01 p.m. on Thursday when folks go to register for the event and realize that they have missed online registration by a minute, um, know that you can you can register the day of. Um, and that will also start uh, at 7.30 a.m. and run right through race start. So uh, as you described before, this is a two-lap up-down race. Um, both laps will be the same. Is that correct? In terms of the course? That's correct. Yes. All right. So you, you do the same, you do the same lap two times. The race will start and finish likely, uh, at or near the Arlberg children's center, right, right around. I mean, you'll, it'll be very easy to see cause we'll have giant start and finish banners. Um, and the start and finish of the race is always varied a little bit, usually based on where we do registration, but, uh, as, uh, based on our previous conversation, our, your plan is to have the start finish, uh, at or near the Arlberg children's center, but b- back behind the building. Yeah. And, and when people arrive, one of the things they'll notice, uh, they're building a brand new base lodge at Cranmore. Um, there's a ton of construction going on. So if you might say, well, why, why is it going to be in front of Arlberg? It, it'll be very evident as soon as you get there. 
Um, They've also done, you know, they're building a hotel there. They're building some other condos there. There's just lots going on at the mountain. Um, but that, that shouldn't impact parking, right? There's always Correct. ample, There's always, ample parking, yeah. always ample parking. Um, and for folks that have, have been at the race before, you know that there's a there's a lot in fairly close proximity to the Arlberg Children's Center. Uh, right. But there's suffice to say there is still ample parking, uh, whether you uh, arrive a little bit early or you tend to arrive a little bit late, you will be able to find a place to park. Um, all right. So two lap two lap course uh, approximate distance, Paul, what's the what's the approximate total distance of the event? I'm going to go with uh, around six miles. Mm-hmm. I did not measure because I was checking out some side stuff. Um, I can guarantee the first lap and the second lap are the same distance. Um, <laughs> but I'm, okay. I'm going to go with around six. There, there's a little bit of construction on the mountain. So when people are dis- – the, the uphill is the same as last year. Uh, the downhill has some minor changes um, coming down a little further on the single track mountain bike trail before they cut over. Um, but it's uh, it, it's similar, just just a few minor changes in there uh, just to get around the construction. Okay. There um, is mud. Either way, there still be some mud. So don't worry well, about that. It, yeah. Well, it, it wouldn't be the Cranmore Mountain Race if there wasn't some mud. Um, well, I'm glad you mentioned the I'm glad you mentioned the uphill because um, as part of the uphill, uh, there is a section of the course that uh, that races on what's called the Kessler Trail. Uh, that's a uh, that's a black diamond uh, ski trail uh, in the wintertime, but it serves as a grassy uphill section of the course for us. Uh, and we specifically singled that uh, part of the ascent out um, because it's uh, it's about two tenths of a mile and it averages a thirty seven percent grade uh, with spots or sections that are f- that are uh, that are greater than fifty percent grade. Uh, so for folks that are uh, trying to put that in perspective, if you've raced the Loon Mountain Race, uh, you've heard of, of course, uh, Upper Walking Boss. Now Upper Walking Boss is longer; it's about a kilometer. Um, but Kessler trail, um, while it's shorter, remember you got to do it twice. So that ends up being, you know, in the end, it ends up being about a half a mile, um, of, uh, 37% grade with short stints, uh, above 50% grade. Uh, what can people expect, uh, when they get to Kessler? Uh, that they will most likely be walking. Um, <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, um, and it's and it's loose soil. You're kind of cutting through a ski trail that the mountain is not even able to cut. Um, there, it's a very you know it's a little bit of single track kind of overgrowth. Um, it's just very steep. Uh, I don't the the rest of the course is to me completely runnable. Um, but when you get to that section, very few people are going to run it, or would they have any value in running it? Like yeah. a power hike is going to be just as good, but it's super steep. And as you said, it's over pretty quickly. Um, but it's, and I think the second lap, it seems even steeper just because your body's <laughs> gone through the up down process. And now it's, you know, adjusting to a super steep, uh, section again, but um, yeah, after you pop out of that, then you go through some single track up near the top. Uh, and then you start your descent. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you mentioned surface. So, um, you mentioned grassy ski trail, but at some other point you also mentioned, uh, uh, gravel service road. What can people expect? And you also mentioned mud. What, what can, what can people expect in terms of the surface that they will be running on or surfaces that they'll be running on? 
Um, a lot of the uphill is uh, gravel service road slash kind of Jeep worn down trail on, on a ski slope um, until you and then uh, some grassy ski slope. Uh, then, as I said, Kessler is kind of, you know, right through grass uh, area. And then um, the descent is almost all on like hard packed machine groom, machine built, built. Uh, mountain bike trail, which is uh, lots of big bank curves, lots of windy trail, uh, lots of rocks and roots, actually, in, in some sections on mm. it. Um, if you're a downhiller, it's an extremely fun downhill um, because you do get to wind through a lot of it. But yeah, really, it's a variety of surfaces, uh, probably less grass than some other years. Um, and a little bit more, as I said, like kind of worn down, uh, Jeep trail. Mm. Uh, so that, that machine built mountain bike downhill section, which ends up being a downhill section for us. That's a relatively new addition to the Cranmore mountain race course, right? That, that machine built, uh, mountain bike downhill trail, um, is it's only a couple of years old now. Uh, it's been around what, three or three or four years. Uh, I maybe? think, um, I think we la first used part of it in 2019. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's been a project of ride. Noco did, um, which, you know, downhill as anybody knows, if they've gone to a ski area, downhill mountain biking has become the thing. And, um, you know, there are people that will ride, there's the resorts downhill trails, but then this is kind of a separate set of trails that people will go up to the top of Black Cap Mountain, uh, either ride up there or take a truck up there and then ride the trails and come down. Uh, this is Charlie Don't Surf is the trail. And then there's, you know, there's a variety of other trails, but it's it's that newer, um, you know, machine groom stuff. Although I will say when I was checking out the course yesterday, um, there's there's a fair amount of erosion of rocks and roots exposed in, in some of the downhill sections. Uh, some of it's perfectly banked and some of it's definitely got some rocks and roots on the upper part. So uh, so Ride No Co is is this uh, is this mountain bike group uh, in North Conway and they're, um, they they they've worked collaboratively with Cranmore Mountain Resort um, to help to manage those those trails because I mean those trails are, te are technically on. Cranmore Mountain Resort property, correct? But they're well, they're it, it's a mixture. They're on Cranmore and also Nature Conservancy uh, property as well. But yeah, they they kind of work with Cranmore um, to they may both maintain and develop those trails. It's yeah. kind of separate so, from the resort. Yeah. So um, so did you have to get special permission um, in order to use uh, Charlie Don't Surf that? banked downhill trail i mean i mean are there going to be mountain bikers bombing down that uh, that trail during the race um, like, how, how does that work there there should not be and we'll have a volunteer or two out there to make sure of that and i just communicate with them and i'll also post in the the nemba mount washington valley nemba group about the race um but they're always you know supportive that we're doing it but really no, we don't have to get permission from them because it's on Cranmore's property. Like okay. we get the permission from Cranmore. It's more just working with them to make sure people know the trail will be closed during okay. the race. Yeah. Su suffice to say there's a collaboration. There's yeah. a, there's a yeah, communication, sure. communication sure. between us and Ride Noco and and obviously the Cranmore Mountain Resort. Yes. Um, aid stations. People are always curious about aid stations. So this is a six mile race, but it's no ordinary six mile race, right? With about twenty five hundred feet of climbing. Um, uh, it, it, it could take a little while for, for, for folks. Um, 
Uh, folks wondering about aid stations. Uh, uh, how many are there? Where are they? Uh, what what will they? Uh, what will the aid stations provide? Um, there is a single aid station at the base of the mountain. So um, you know when you uh, finish your first lap. Um, we used to have an aid station on top when it was in the summer and heat was much more of a concern. Um, last year, we switched it back to just a single aid station at the bottom where heat really isn't a concern. I would always encourage, you know, if people pause to think uh, that isn't enough for them, you know, bring your own hydration. Um, I always recommend people, especially in the day and age of extremely light hydration packs and everything and, you know, handhelds. Um, but yeah, the, the single aid station is at the start and finish area as well as that's the turnaround of the first lap. Okay. Uh, and we're going to, we'll provide water, uh, at, at, at the, at the aid station. Yeah. Um, uh, and then obviously there'll be volunteers there and because it'll be at the start finish, if after one lap people have had enough, uh, <laughs> and they don't want to take on the second lap, they certainly can withdraw. We just ask that folks let us know if they're not planning to tackle the second lap. Um, <clears throat> course markings, Paul, how will the course be marked, um, in terms of, um, course materials and where will those materials be placed on runner's right or runner's left? Um, it will be like orange, uh, surveyor type flags, uh, whether it's right or left, we'll let them know at the start. <laughs> okay. So that's, um, that's TBD. Oh, to be yeah. Determined. Yeah. But it, it, it'll be obvious. Um, we get there. Typically I do them on the right, but I don't want to say it now in case I forget that on race day <laughs> and for some reason. Uh, so we'll definitely let people know, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll let that, them know. Yeah, we'll we'll we will communicate the finality, uh, the final decision uh, as part of our pre-race email, and we'll also be putting that out on social media. You're really good about posting uh, photos from day of uh, or day before course marking, so folks can uh, if folks are interested in that, they can they can follow along with you, uh, and we'll we'll make sure to share those photos on our our social media feeds as well. Um, course conditions. Uh, you mentioned, you mentioned mud. Uh, I mean, I think you were kind of kiddingly mentioning mud, but probably also seriously mentioning mud. Um, uh, you know, again, at the, at the time we're taping this show, we're, we're two weeks out. Um, uh, the, the, by the time this show is, is aired, we're one week out. Um, so we don't really have an idea as of yet, uh, what the weather is going to be, which, you know, the, the weather in the days preceding the event certainly can uh, help to determine day of event, uh, course conditions. Um, but just, but just generally speaking, um, what, what can people expect in terms of course conditions? Um, I mean, definitely plan on a little bit of mud. Uh, the section that we most likely aren't using because of construction is often the muddiest part. So that won't be in it, but, um, there was a lot of mud on the uphill sections as well. When we were previewing yesterday, um, I just think like, you know, if, if you're going to think in terms of is this a technical trail or non-technical trail on the scale, I'd err towards pretty technical um, because, the you know, the, as I said, the downhills got exposed, rocks, roots, um, something grippy is a good thing for shoes, for mm, sure. Yeah. Well, I, uh, thanks for thanks for mentioning that. Um, uh, while, of course, you and I would favor um, 
any offering by our sponsor, Saucony, uh, which has a complete line of trail running shoes. They probably uh, would be the best bet uh, without uh, without specifically singling out singling out a manufacturer. For folks that are new to, to mountain racing or new to the Cranmore Mountain Race, uh, what should they wear on their feet? Just, uh, yeah, so, something with tread, ideally something with grip for, for some of the rock. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't just wear road show shoes. Okay. As I said, it's, it, there's a decent amount of technical on the downhill. Okay. Um, as, as far as, uh, folks that are new to mountain racing, we get this question a lot. Uh, I usually get this question a lot. I'm sure you get this question a lot too, uh, in the week or so before the event, uh, folks will ask, um, you know, they're new to mountain running. Uh, can they walk? Uh, can folks walk the Cranmore mountain race? Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we have people that will hike a lot of sections of the course. We really just encourage anyone. Um, you know, the, I guess the only person I wouldn't encourage is if you were thinking, you know, I don't know whether physically I could make it up the hill without getting a heart attack, then that's pro it's probably isn't the course for you. Uh, you know, you want to have a certain level of fitness, but it's not like everyone runs every step for sure. Okay. So, so folks that are, folks that are, are, are reasonably fit and healthy, uh, that maybe love hiking and do a lot of hiking, but haven't really done a whole lot of of mountain running per se. Um, there's there's no time limit. There's no there's no uh, time limit. Is kind of sundown, but um, there's no there's no there's no noted or defined time limit. And because it's a two lap race, if after one lap, you know, folks realize that maybe this is a little bit more than they've uh, they bit off a little bit more than they can chew, they can they can certainly withdraw after. Uh, exactly reason, right but we uh, as always we encourage all all levels of of participants uh that are are fit and uh and healthy um all of our events um benefit uh, uh at least in part uh nonprofits um this year the Cranmore Mountain Race uh has a new uh nonprofit or new to us uh, a new nonprofit that we are benefiting, uh, the World Central Kitchen. Uh, can you talk a little bit about um, our uh, our our nonprofit this year? Sure. Um, yeah, the World Central Kitchen. Um, they do um, kind of emergency uh, food. They do, you know, um, set do pop up tents, uh, giving out food in a variety of places. Um, I became most familiar with them. Um, with uh in terms of their work in ukraine and in poland and areas like that uh, a few people i know from ukraine have commented on them uh just how useful they've been with refugees there you know leaving fleeing the area or even going into areas that were destroyed um and honestly even on a much closer uh area you know uh, all the disaster areas through hurricane ian just came through um, we're also, you know, World Central Kitchen goes to those. They went to Puerto Rico. They've been to Arizona. They've been to every, everywhere. Um, they, they really just kind of globally around the world, if there's a disaster that needs food tents set up to feed local people for whatever reasons, they're there to help. Um, and I've just heard from even many in the restaurant business that it's one of their most favorite charities. Uh, and this was... This is a nonprofit that was uh, that, uh, that's started by the uh, Jose Andre. Yes, Jose Andre. I believe that's his name. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah, I, I seems to be my recollection is over the last couple of years. Anytime there's been a disaster anywhere, a natural disaster or in, in this case, war, um, 
anywhere in the world, his organization is there and uh, and feeding people, um, which um, you know, of course, a, a warm meal uh, is. Uh, you know, I mean, that's that that's one of the, you know, sort of essential things um, following uh, a disaster. And uh, <clears throat> we're proud to support uh, their work. You know, um, <clears throat> earlier this spring when we were uh, talking about finalizing the uh, uh, the nonprofit and, and uh, you mentioned that um, that you you wanted to name the World Central Kitchen. I think at that point you had said something about, um, uh, well, that you know. We'll, we'll see what's happening in Ukraine, uh, you know, in, in the fall, then, you know, this was six, yeah. seven, eight, eight or nine months ago. I mean, you, you know, you, you said something about, well, we'll see if there's still a conflict, there's still a war going on. And, and, uh, sadly that it, it, it still is. So, um, but I'm glad, I'm glad that you mentioned that, um, that this organization also does work, uh, outside of, uh, of, of, of war zone, uh, areas and, and specifically, um, with, uh, with, with hurricane Ian that just came through Florida. Um, I, I kind of had, I'd forgotten that part of the outreach. Yeah. And it's kind of cool. Like they'll part, they just partner with local organizations to help with the logistics of it all. Um, and you know, just around the world, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, like I know with the Ukraine efforts right now, not only are they providing meals, but they're also providing like boxes of things that are easy like in in areas where you have people that have returned to their homes and there's no electricity there's no anything and they're cooking outside well they're giving them a box a 30 pound box of ready to heat things that don't go bad and and things like that it's it's i think they first really kind of came on the scene back in hurricane katrina which i what was that 2003 i think and uh they just continued to do amazing work um it's it's just phenomenal the number of places that they are providing assistance all at once. Mm. Well, we're uh, we're we're proud to be able to uh, to support them, um, and uh, and and the mountain mountain racing community is uh, is is helping us to do that. So we'll we'll take a percentage of the proceeds uh, and and make uh, make a charitable donation to that organization. By the way, folks that want to learn more about World Central Kitchen, you can visit them at wck.org. That's w world central kitchen wck.org. Um uh, finally, uh, as it relates to uh, to more information um, for folks listening uh, for folks who are listening that uh, are now interested uh, uh, in uh, finding out more about the Cranmore Mountain Race including Links to online registration. Uh, folks are encouraged to visit us at acidoticracing.com. Uh, we will be sharing some uh, additional information on our social media feeds as well. Paul, what else? Uh, any what? What have I? What have I? What have I missed about Cranmore Mountain Race? I think you've. Uh, all I have to do now is wait for race day. I think. I think we're good. Uh, excited to to see all the mountain goats. It's always fun to hand out the shirts and. Um, and um, you know we'll we'll try and provide some mud and steepness and uh, something to go home and talk about for the next year. Well, it'll it, it's uh it's always memorable. I I should also say too that um, uh, our great friend Joe Vijay uh, will be there. We've hired Joe again uh, to shoot uh, uh, images at our event, and uh, uh, Joe and his team um, will be uh, will be there taking photos of everyone uh, on the mountain racing. And uh, we will provide uh, uh, access to those uh, images for free uh, after Joe uh, has the galleries uploaded. So Joe Vijay Photography will be there as well. 
Uh, I failed to mention that earlier. Um, and, uh, and Joe actually got his start as a race photographer at the 2011 Cranmore Mountain Race. In fact, um, and there's an iconic photo in Trail Runner magazine that he took uh, that year. He got like he got the middle page, you know, the the staple spread for that issue. Uh was that the was that the women's finish with Brandy yes. er, Earl Holtz? Uh, uh, Brand, Brandy Earl Holtz and um, Amber uh, and Megan Lazat. Yep. Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, uh, Joe is going to be a guest on my podcast, uh, in another couple of weeks. And he talks about that story. So, uh, so tune in, in a couple of weeks, uh, to the, uh, podcast episode with Joe Vijay in, uh, uh, Joe actually mentions you, uh, I, I believe. And, uh, um, uh, in, uh, as, as, as kind of, uh, crediting uh how he got his start in in mountain running that's a great story well paul uh thanks for your time uh look forward to seeing you on the 15th uh as we uh as we host the cranmore mountain race presented by Saucony. thanks chris truthfully what would this podcast be without barking dogs I still think it's ironic that the grand poobah of New England mountain running is actually a kid from Philly. Folks, if that doesn't suggest that anything is possible, I don't know what does. Uh, Paul and I are excited to host the mountain running community this weekend. Once again, you've been listening to the Eat Half Walk Double podcast. If you're listening on Spotify and enjoyed what you heard, please circle back to the homepage and click the follow button in the upper left-hand corner. And of course, if you really enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your friends. I'll be posting some supporting media on my Twitter account at Coach Chris J. Dunn, so make sure to check that out. And lastly, remember, the secret to living well and longer is to eat half, walk double, laugh triple, and love without measure. Until next time.